Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. And this is podcast 9A from series 3. Last podcast, 8B, we talked about history. Talking of history, Jerry, we've just passed 25,000 downloads, and that is more than 400 listens a podcast, which is great. And not only that, yeah, yeah, apparently we're reaching people all around the world. Yeah, so mostly UK. Um, We say mostly. The majority, the biggest group is the UK, but actually that's not the majority. We've got a lot of people in the States, um, quite a few in Australia and Japan, and Canada and Ireland and Germany and New Zealand. And China, those are our top countries. That's so. fantastic. Yeah, it's um, it's really nice actually. I, I, the power of technology. It is. I mean, I know that it's a double-edged sword, technology, but it's a fantastic thing, isn't it? And it's um really lovely to think there's people out there listening to us. So as always, let us know what you think. And you can do this by visiting our website, which is www.helpfulsocialwork.com, or by commenting on iTunes or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast, because we, we really do want to hear from folk. It's it's lovely when we get some feedback, isn't it? Yeah, and I enjoyed doing our listeners' requests last time, so anyone who's got questions that they want us to discuss, just let us know. Absolutely. So this week is an AE podcast, so we're looking at the social work journey, and we're going to talk about crisis. And this is a bit of a diversion from the journey, because crisis could happen at any point, Actually, quite often we meet people first time we come across somebody or have our first encounter. It's when there is some sort of crisis. So just want to talk a bit more about what that means and start with definition, as we usually do. So various things that um, come into the meaning of a crisis. It can be a crucial or decisive point or situation, especially when there's something unstable going on in impending change. It can be a sudden change in the course of something, for example, a disease, which could be either towards improvement or deterioration. It can be an emotionally stressful event or traumatic change in a person's life, or a point in a story or drama when a conflict reaches its highest tension and must be resolved. And it's really interesting, the root of it. It's actually, the root is in Greek, from the word to separate or to judge. So... The question for us, I guess, is what do we think a crisis is? Bearing in mind that the the definition includes, it's about a point, but it could be either for good or for poor. Yeah, it could be deterioration or improvement. And also this idea of there needing to be a judgment, that makes a lot of sense to me because why else would you bring in a social worker if there wasn't some something to add or something that was needed? But also... We don't know how it's going to turn out, so we have to be really thinking. I think this is a fascinating area to look at. Um, And I liked what you just said about the fact that a a crisis can be a turning point for good or or for worse. Um, And so for me, I think when we we think about the role of social care and what we're there for, um, a lot of the time when we think of crisis, a crisis response implies an immediate call to action. Um, and social workers certainly deal with these types of crises where there's been an unexpected event such as a death or an accident. Um, hospital social workers are often, you know, there at the point of a huge crisis 
for families and for people, and it brings us there for the need to intervene. And, that you know, the response time in these events is often immediate and urgent, but there is another sort of crisis that we deal with, and it's the one that's built up over time, and there's been many warning signs and indicators present before the crisis moment presents itself. And I think we need to think about crisis in, two, in those two different ways and think of it as a slow burn issue, something that needs a reaction but doesn't always need to be treated as urgent. Um, you know, certainly knowing... it doesn't need a panic or a kind of yeah. rush to yeah, rush to action yeah. without thought, not if it implies that there's judgment needed. I think that's exactly right. It's that kind of idea of, of you know, get your blues and twos on type thing that people talk about. It's, um, you know, we, we need to think about how we respond to each situation that, um, that is, that is um, presented to us. And for me, the crisis that is building up and gathering momentum is most often what we see in social care. Um, children, for instance, who are experiencing neglect make up a significant proportion of our, of our caseload. And those children are often going through a slow erosion almost of their development and their well-being and we can see little issues building up over time and it's building building to this crisis um i think that's fair i think most of the people that we work with if we've had a chance to know about them and get to know them at all then we'll see that there's transitions coming or there's um trigger points likely to occur or there's particular strains and stresses that are mounting so we should have some um some way of predicting some of the kind of touch points where things can tip yeah i think that's right we we don't always know um where that where that tipping point is going to be but we can certainly see the signposts and the difficulties along the way um and and what we're trying to do is identify that critical point and find a way for people to still be able to make good choices or to be able to um use the resources and the strategies they have and i think that's part of what we're doing is um is you you kind of often feel don't you in, in a crisis that you don't know which way to turn you you feel like you're out of option you can't see your way forward you can't see your way back you feel really stuck um and a lot of what we're wanting social workers to do is to actually help people think about the resources and strategies and responses that they um, that they can use, and this involves offering insight, information, past experiences, because um, people still want to have agency over their own life. I think that's one of the really you know that feeling that you still have some choices, um, and social work's introducing that. Yeah, so it's not about kind of parachuting in and pulling people out. It's about showing them what different paths there might be which actually does fit with our some of the work that the, the things that we've talked about about social work as a journey and about us as um helping people to make their maps um about the importance of planning so you'd still plan in a crisis wouldn't you? you'd still be looking for a set path out mm. um, one of the things i wanted to mention was about how we can escalate crisis if we're not careful by the language that we use in fact the, the word crisis isn't necessarily helpful either um mm. but you know we do talk about things cases blowing up um or yeah. exploding or there being um 
kind of that battlefield language. Yeah. Um, or being bombarded by demands, that kind of stuff. And I think if we're talking about that sort of fight, then that's not the response that we want in a crisis. Do we? we don't want fight or flight. We want thought and and purposeful action. So using different kinds of terminology could be really helpful for us as well. Yeah, I think I, I so agree with you about that, Jerry. It's the idea of um, using language of resilience and helping people see that there are decisions that can be made and that there are options. And none of that requires um, that language of trench warfare. But we talk about that, don't we? We're, we're on the, well, we call ourselves the front line. Oh, and I always wonder the front line of what? <laughs> you know, like. Um, I, I think that uh, we're wanting really to, as you, you know, to talk, understand what's happening for somebody, how they're perceiving the world, and provide them with another viewpoint for that, not kind of jump in there with them. It's like, you know, if people are in the river and they're struggling to get out, you jumping in as well is not the most helpful thing to do. So it's really taking a longer view on on the experience they're having. Yeah, there's a model that I wanted to mention, which we've I think we've talked about before in terms of decision making, which is the um, Carnarfon module, and that's got this division of complex, complicated, chaotic, and simple. Um, and yeah, we've talked about how people can perceive things as being simple or complicated when they're actually complex, but equally mm. we can perceive things as being chaotic when actually they're complex. And so. That true chaos is rare and actually shouldn't be mm. something that we ever encourage as social workers. So what we want to do when people feel like they're out of options or they're stuck or things are you know, too unpredictable, too chaotic to find a way forward, that we would come into that and try and set it out as a complex thing, calm things down, slow things down. And I yeah. read a really wonderful description of social work um, that a poet in Scotland gave on Twitter, which was... Um, Social workers are lighthouses in a sea of chaos. Yes, yes. So therefore, we're never joining in that chaos. And also, what feels like chaos because you're in it doesn't look like chaos to the lighthouse, does it? I mean, no, that's it's just the, the sea and we're on the rocks. So yeah, we know that yeah. where the rocks are. Yeah. And so when you're in it, that feels chaotic, but it shouldn't, but we shouldn't be responding by going, yes, it is chaos. Um, so it's being really mindful of what it is that people need from somebody who is there to bring perspective and balance and, al and alternative visions to them. So should we talk a bit about how we are purposeful in that space then? Um, yeah. Which is really crisis intervention theory, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think for me, I just, you know, the theory of crisis intervention is really helpful for social workers when they're thinking about crisis. Um, it's employed to intervene with people who are in danger really of harming themselves or others. And it's often used actually in mental health settings. Um, there's often an acute failure of the person's coping mechanisms that results in their inability to function and causes them great distress. So from their point of view, every single option is closed down. So they really can't see, they can't think or work their way out of the situation they're in. Yeah, so we've, it's described, isn't it, as a sort of loss of equilibrium because normally we're up and down every day, aren't we? Some things are easier and some things are more difficult and we have lots of strategies to help us 
kind of rebalance as we go along and in a crisis that equilibrium is lost and strategies don't work and we're out of strategies so we feel very overwhelmed um but the theory also has this idea that from that there's some energy because people are um i I kind of think of it as if you were a a, a kind of car that you know a wind-up car that's gone into against the wall and so you're stuck but you're still whizzing so it's a question of finding that energy and thinking about how that can be redirected um and so there's potential there isn't there and also if it works if we can find a way for that person to work through that the next time hopefully we'll feel they'll feel less overwhelmed mm. and that's you know and what, what you're picking on there is that you know the resilience it's the um the the crisis itself needs to be the person needs to be contained and redirected but then more than that is the opportunity that comes for building up um, support mechanisms and ways of coping that that head off that happening again. Um, and it's like, you know, it's often quoted, isn't it, by JFK. The, he um, says that the Chinese use the characters for danger and opportunity to mean the same thing. Well, that's not exactly right. The Chinese um, character for crisis means something like a crucial point where something begins or changes so it's a genuine crisis a dangerous moment but it's also a moment where something's going to change so our intervention into that crisis brings about change and it's about how we use that change opportunity to help somebody go on to a path that is healthier and better for them safer for them and that feels like like the right place for them to be which is also really helpful if we're thinking back to an analogy of somebody sort of struggling in the sea so it just pull them out and go brilliant because <laughs> they're still cold and they're still wet mm. um, and actually they might fall in again what we want yeah. is for that to be sustained um so i was looking at this and saw that there was some work by roberts which had kind of set steps so yes covers the things that we started to talk about really the risk assessment first of all I guess of, of the, where the person is and, and are we the right people to be supporting them, but also of ourselves so we don't get drawn in. Building a relationship, identifying what the major problems are, understanding the person's perceptions of those problems, because, of course, what they see and what we see will be very different, probably. Um, thinking about what are the alternatives then? Um, why is this a crisis? What could the person do? What strengths and strategies could they bring? What options can we bring? What ideas have we got? And then you put your plan in place and follow it up. And then the final step is what you were just talking about, really, which is that you offer support once the plan is fulfilled, which is about the resilience for next time. Yeah. So it's a full cycle, really. And I think social workers really need to have strong situational awareness. They really need to be taking in um, the whole context and everything that's happening around the person. They really need to have a good problem-solving capacity, be able to offer empathy, emotional resilience, you know, and they, they also need to be able to understand the risk to the person or the people involved because often in those crisis points um, it can feel very dangerous both for the person who's in the crisis and perhaps for other people involved with them. So we really need to contain those risks and Rap, quite rapidly build a working relationship with a person, which can be hard when somebody's really preoccupied and distressed, you know, um, 
And then, as you say, we need to be able to get them to express their feelings and explore their fears in safety. So they need to be able to feel safe enough to talk about the things that are really because when you when you're in that mindset where you're in that crisis, everything becomes quite terrifying, doesn't it? It, it, it? You know, you become quite overwhelmed by the thought of the consequences. Every action seems to have a truly dreadful consequence. Um, and so you need to be able to feel safe to articulate some of those things that you're thinking about. And, and social workers need to do that together um, to work out how people can be kept safe in the short term and then how they can help them get through the crisis in safety. And then, as you say, the last thing which is really important is that idea of how to develop them over time to manage situations and leverage their own strengths. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's not different in kind to other social work in a way. It's just maybe different in intensity um, mm. and therefore the level of sort of skill and self-awareness and support that you would need. Um, I mean, the other thing that I was thinking about was people can find themselves in crisis and overwhelmed and actually not be able to communicate it at all. Because we've been talking about this, I guess, almost as if you know, we were working with a parent or a carer or a adult who or you know an elder child who could actually tell us mm. what was what their perception was um yep. but sometimes we come across often you know, often actually we'll come across people who are overwhelmed and struggling and maybe frightened or afraid and can't communicate so i had i was talking to a social worker a few weeks ago who was talking about good you know an example of really good practice um and she was saying that She'd worked with someone who was in a care home, an older woman who it turned out was in a lot of pain and was very frightened and was overwhelmed. And so she was fighting the staff and they were putting in more and more restrictions on her to try to manage the fact that her behaviour was, was harming her and other people. And the social worker tried to take this back to, okay, what's her perception? Um, what can we change? So that moment of change. And in this case, it was about changing medication and also changing the number of people around so that it felt less threatening and mm. that caused enough of a change for the person's behavior and communication to to evolve so that they could understand much more much more clearly what she liked what she didn't like and then put the plan in place um yeah so so even you know, if you think of behavior as communication when we see extremes of behavior that might be a crisis point then or an opportunity of some sort yeah, it's that perception, isn't it, and the response of what's going on that we need to attend to, not the actual thing itself. Um, you know, different people will find the same event really different and the threshold for crisis is really different for different people. And so we're the whole time, that sounds like such a nice example of practice for that social worker to, you know, really do that putting, I'm going to put myself in her shoes and see what the world looks like from her point of view, you know, really using empathy, being very person-centred. And also um, recognising different cultural responses is, is important as well. You know, it's not just age and stage that affects people. It's also your background, your belief system, um, how you've been used to living your life. All of those things come into play and, and tell you and, you know, um, affect how you respond to things. Um, yeah, so we can't make assumptions, can we, about what someone would perceive as a 
as an overwhelming event. We we need we need to be really thinking about how other people see their life and um, what they're seeing as a crisis. And we need to help them, I, you know, kind of not globalise and to see opportunities to be different and to manage and all those kind of things. But that's not the same as dismissing, is it? It's No, and I think bringing yeah. in that alternative perspective of yeah. how might things look differently, that's where the care and the relationship is so important isn't it because it can seem like you're judging someone if you're saying mm. well you could look at it this way um and i think we also need to yeah the role modeling is really important isn't it of um you know if if we're if we're suggesting that there's a way that people could work through things um and could contain or you know, could manage the sense of crisis we have to be managing it and be contained and be working through things and be helpful and hopeful otherwise we're saying one thing and then giving an impression of another yeah and we have to have be able to generate alternatives and i think for me it's one of those things where you know um we can't be so fixed in our own view that we can only think of plan a we really, I, th I think in a crisis, you're needing people to be flexible with you and to go, okay, well, I can see that this isn't working in the way we thought. How about if we tweak it a little bit and see if this feels better? So we have to be prepared to keep shifting things around while staying on track. Does that make sense? I don't, I'm not talking about us going everywhere. I'm talking about us just being adaptable to the person's viewpoint and shifting them maybe more slowly than we, we would want, you know, mm. if, if the answer where, yeah. is... Sorry. I was going to say, I think that's where the heart of, of um, difficulty in practice lies, actually, because in a crisis, what people want, particularly, I think, our organisations and employers, is certainty. Mm. Have you got that sorted yet? And actually, we need to be trying things and evaluating and monitoring and being flexible and creative. And that's quite difficult to do when you've got that sort of pressure to get it sorted, whatever it yeah. might be. Um, and I think that holding our professional um, line on that and allowing, creating that room to be creative and work and, and having backup in that it's really, really important. So the risk management rather than risk avoidance or aversion. That's right. It's, yeah, in, in a crisis, the temptation, isn't it, is to try and eradicate risk um, rather than work with it. And one of the things that I've learned from working with um, teenagers, with adolescents really, um, particularly adolescents who are um, expressing suicidal ideation, is that sometimes you're going hour by hour. You're not putting in you're not you're not managing or containing things for more than very short periods of time and your plans are necessarily short term for this hour this is what we're going to do in the next hour we'll look at this you know over 24 hours we're going to look this way tomorrow we're going to look again because you're just trying to manage the immediacy and keep people sometimes keep people alive I think that um yeah so I think that crisis intervention depending on what kind of crisis it is depends on how much of a of a of an immediate or short-term view you have to take of it um and, and you how that up. risk is shared as well 
Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. You picked up on on the fact that none of this work would be done with one person, and I think that's absolutely critical. You shouldn't be doing it alone, and you shouldn't be leaving the person alone. Um, doing a good eco map can be very supportive in helping people realise there are people around them, people that are going to help them. And if they don't, if they genuinely are isolated, completely isolated, then you really want to build a professional network. Yeah, so there's, that's useful actually. It brings us into thinking about some tools that might be helpful. So I, I completely agree with you. The, um, the EcoMap work, there's some other person-centered tools around circles of support where you can start to um, draw in the circles around people. And initially they might be very professional dominated mm -hmm. um, or agency dominated, but hopefully they'll diversify as you go along. Um, there's a couple of tools I think are relevant here, but maybe more for the resilience building as you go along. So the working, not working tool, which is very simple, kind of looking at strategies and activities that are helpful or not. Um, also good day, bad day, because as you start to come out of that overwhelmed experience and have some good moments and some less good moments, you can start to unpick what's going on there. And that I think is moving into the more solution focused side of things isn't it yeah solution focused work really helpful in crisis intervention where you're just keep because you're trying to give people a sense of perspective over things and scaling um is really helpful for that you're also trying to give them a sense of optimism about tomorrow so future building getting them to imagine themselves in the future when this issue is passed and so that's where you, you're hooking into their motivation to actually try to keep going and to try to um, look for ways to change. And they're both really helpful tools as well. Yeah, I, talk, I was talking to a, a social worker about scaling um, because they worked in end of life. And of course, some of the sort of miracle type questions in solution focused are quite um quite challenging you know what would it be mm. like if it was the best it could be and in some situations people feel like it's it's always going to be quite bad mm. um so mm. end of life would be an example of that or i guess if a parent's lost their child yes. they're not going to get the life back that they wanted so the scaling yeah. allows you to think about well where are you now and how might we get to the next point on the scale rather than yeah. setting people up to feel like they ought to be you know living out a wonderful life when that seems out of their reach just then. Yeah, I, th I think that, that I think that's exactly right, Jerry. When I think about using um, scaling or motivation with people who have lost their children, the motivation is really about getting them out of bed, getting them to eat, getting them to do a bit of self care, and getting them to take on some of the chores that are required for living and I remember a friend of mine who lost her child who who's she's taught me so much over the years she's such a wise person but um she said to me I'm not really alive Joe I'm just walking around that's how she felt after she lost her child that she was just walking around um so yes of course contextually you have to be looking at all of these things and really thinking which tool will be helpful right now to help somebody get as far, do as much as they can on the day that is in front of them. Which safely. is an, another challenge for us, isn't it? Because of course we kind of want to fix things. 
and we are incentivized again by the agencies that we work for to achieve outcomes and some of this work is yeah is in it's in the mire isn't it we're not actually seeing well, it's witnessing it's witnessing work sometimes the privilege of our position is to be able to witness somebody else's journey and witness somebody else's story in a way that makes them feel that they won't disappear if the lights shone on them or if they say it out loud. And that's that work, I mean, and that's for me, that brings me to, you know, for us as social workers, when we talk about working with crisis, we are talking about walking into the most difficult and distressing time of people's lives when all about them feels like ash and dust. And social workers, you know, you don't walk away from that untouched yourself. People's distress, it's carried inside us, and it really can affect it can significantly affect our own sense of safety and well-being. And I was working, um, I was lucky enough to have a placement, an early social work placement in, on a hospital unit, and a really wise mentor of mine um, when I was working in the field. And I'd been to too many funerals where there was small white caskets at the front, and I, I was getting distressed by the amount of child death that was accompanying this job. Um, and she talked to me about the fact that we had to keep monitoring ourselves and checking that we weren't getting a sense of distorted reality from our work. And she said, you know, terrible things happen at any moment to people who do not deserve it, if there's any such thing as deserving and undeserving of pain and suffering, but that that doesn't mean it happens all the time, everywhere, every day. And when you get to the stage where you worry about the safety of your loved ones all the time and where joyful occasions are tempered by shadows that don't exist. It's time to sense check your own reality and to make sure that you're not taking on too much of that sense of crisis and that sorrow and grief. Because we, we need to, as social workers, we need to build secure bases for people. And so we need to believe that the world is essentially a kind place where effort will be met with, you know, kindness and success. Um, and as social workers, we need to keep believing in the justice, I think, and the essential goodness of the world, but, you know, that it, it's worth striving because it's achievable. Yeah, because otherwise that sense of hopelessness or overwhelming, overwhelmedness can creep into our own work and our practice and on our personal lives as well. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, our, our response will be fight or flight as well, and it will either try and grapple things to the ground and sort of control them or we'll start to avoid them. And in neither place can we be really valuable to others. And it's, it's not a healthy place for us to be at all. No, so self-care in, in, in crisis work is essential. It's a privilege to be a companion to someone who's struggling and to have that person offer you their last bit of hope. But in taking on that role, we need to be clear about the fact we're entering a partnership. It's not a rescue operation and that the person will remain their own agent throughout the process. And we need to be helpful without acting as a saviour or taking on that responsibility of the day-to-day -day life of the person. So you need to have some really good, strong boundaries in your approach, I think. Um, otherwise, it could easily become oppressive or or oppressive to other people or a burden to yourself. Yeah, so supervision again, as we talk about quite a lot. Um, and 
I guess the perspective that we get comes from experience and colleagues and checking what we're doing against what we know from evidence is likely to be helpful. Mm. And thinking about, you know, working in an anti-oppressive partnership with your client because that will support you to work relationally in safety in, and in safety if you're always thinking this other person has a sense of agency, they have a right to as much power as they can have in this moment. It does make me think of one other thing, actually, um, which is the, the, the larger context again. Um, people who enter into crisis, we're working with them around their resilience and their options and the networks and communities around them and then there is a wider sense isn't there of what are the um, factors and the issues in our society that make it more likely to precipitate that some people would be precipitated into crisis than others and we've yeah. we've got more and more evidence coming out around issues of inequality and poverty in this country a sort of wider bigger picture as well that we we then as social workers kind of have to look up to see and try to act against collectively as well. Because it's not enough to describe people's situation, to describe the impact of poverty, to describe the impact of austerity. What does it galvanise in us in terms of action? And I think as social workers, that's a really big question for us. What does seeing someone in crisis where that crisis has contributory factors that are outside of that person's control galvanise us to do? That's a brilliant question to, to end on, I think. Thank you, Joe. Okay. It's always lovely to talk to you, Jerry. See you later.